Welcome to the Brain Health Revolution podcast with your hosts, Aisha and Dean Sherzai. Thank you so much for joining us today as we explore topics around brain health, longevity, cognitive enhancement, and much more. Today's episode is a wonderful conversation with our friend, Dr. Neetu Bajekal, about hormones and brain health, specifically on how menopause and the changes in a women's hormonal system during this stage affects brain health, and what are some of the preventive measures that need to be taken to prevent cognitive decline. Dr. Bajekal is a senior NHS consultant, obstetrician, and gynecologist, and women's health expert based in London with over 35 years of clinical experience. She is also one of the first board-certified lifestyle medicine physicians in the UK. She's very passionate about educating women, providing reliable medical and lifestyle information for the general public, doctors, workplaces, and schools. She's the author of her fantastic newly released book, Living PCOS Free, How to Regain Your Hormonal Health with Polycystic Ovarian Syndrome, a practical guide that shows ways people can successfully manage polycystic ovarian syndrome using proven lifestyle along with medical therapy. The book features a 21-day plan for hormonal health by nutritionist Rohini Bajekal, her daughter, along with delicious plant-based recipes and illuminating case histories. The information to get a copy of her fantastic book is included in the show notes. This was such an enlightening conversation, and we hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Thank you. Hello, Nitu. Thank you so much for joining us. It's such a pleasure to have you uh, here with us on the podcast to speak with you. Uh, as Dean and I were saying earlier before we started recording, we love you and the family so much for what you do in this world, for what you stand for. And we've been really looking forward to connecting with you to talk about so many different things. Thank you. Thank you, Aisha and Dean. It's such a pleasure. It's actually all my pleasure because I've been following your um, journey in many ways. Um, we haven't met, but I feel we have met <laughs> on many levels. And certainly your book has brought a lot of hope to my many of my patients. Uh, so I feel that we definitely have a lot of common ground to cover and talk about. Thank you so much. <clears throat> uh, congratulations on your new wonderful book, Living PCOS Amazing. Free. It's an incredible book, and um, I can't wait for uh, the audience to grab a copy of it. Um, even though it's about PCOS, it's about so much more. And one of the things that I've learned from you as a as a gynecologist online, and there are not a lot of you know gynecologists and women health specialists uh, in the social media realm is the um, connectivity between the different systems, especially the reproductive system and brain health, and how for a woman over years, the changes that we go through in our hormonal system affects our brain health. It's just phenomenal. But before we dive into all of that fantastic uh, information, I want you to tell us how you got into the field and you know what was, what was that machine, that energy that got you into this? So... Um I actually did all my training in India. Uh, I grew up in Kolkata, but went to medical school in Pondicherry, where I met my husband at the age of 18. Uh, and we got married about seven, eight years later. And we are here now 42 years later in the UK, um, having lived here for about 30 years. And I knew very 
quickly, initially I was going to do general surgery, uh, but I knew very quickly that OBGYN uh, N was the speciality for me. It had this absolute fascinating mix of surgery, of medicine and of psychology that for me was completely spellbinding. And I have to say, 35 years later, I still find it just as thrilling, just as passionate uh, about it and really, really love every single thing that I do. However, what happened um, as time went on, I realized that uh, there was something missing in my toolkit and I had the medications, I had the surgery, but I was often seeing women after a disease process had started and I wasn't really equipping them with all the information that I felt I needed to. And coincidentally, just, um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the UK system, but um, after finishing all my training in India, I came here as a glutton for, because uh, I love sitting exams and, and studying. I did all the exams in the UK as well and trained as a, a reproductive medicine fellow and a, a keyhole surgeon, did a fellowship and um, was just about to embark on my uh, job as a consultant when I realized that I had actually gone through premature ovarian insufficiency which is um, for a lot of uh, your listeners they may think of it as premature menopause it basically the, that's the the right term it's an insufficiency there's no failure there wasn't any failure on my part or anybody's part uh, but I was 38 and so that affects one in hundred people uh, all over the world women and those assigned female at birth uh, but it, of course, despite being a doctor and probably because I was a doctor, I hit my head in uh, the sand and I thought I was being bullied. I was very stressed looking after a young family uh, as, as well as applying for jobs. So and working crazy hours, you know, 100, 150 hour weeks and with nights on call, three, four nights on call, every third, fourth night on call. So um, and I didn't know where to turn. I really did not know where to turn. Uh, and it was also the time when the WHI study and things were coming out mm. uh, on menopause and on uh, hormone um, replacement or menopausal hormonal therapy, as is the better word. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I really was struggling. So when I then at that point of time, my daughter, uh, my younger daughter, who was about nine or ten, uh, decided to go vegan. Uh, I changed my lifestyle from being vegetarian to vegan and I found a lot of my symptoms improved. But I still didn't, the scientist in me did not connect anything to do with diet or lifestyle because my diet was generally quite healthier, I thought. So I still didn't put two and two together at all that there was any improvement because of diet. And so it took me another 10 years to actually discover that there was a whole body of evidence, scientific evidence-based information that lifestyle plays a huge role in all aspects of health, chronic illnesses especially, in helping to manage and prevent and even treat in some conditions. And there is no aspect of women's health that does not benefit from bringing in lifestyle changes. And I was really quite upset uh, I was also angry, uh, but then I was happy uh, as well because suddenly I had this extra tool that I could use uh, for my patients and I have never been disappointed. I'm able to apply and I want to make it very clear. There is no different. There, there is no medication shaming. Uh, you know, I operate on people. People need medication where it's indicated, but Lifestyle is always indicated. Yeah. It doesn't matter what else is happening. You want to bring in the lifestyle pillars 
always so that you can live the best life you can, whether it is with surgery and medicine or whether it isn't. Absolutely. That's exactly what we say, you know, um, uh, science, uh, there's so much science that supports that fact too. It's, it's incredible. Um, wow. Uh, so you've actually experienced something that you are helping people with too in your, in your realm Correct. of uh, specialty. And I think that makes it special and, and better in a way because you can empathize with individuals yes, who have absolutely. problems and hormonal issues and you can talk about the science but also know how they feel and I think that level of compassion really does make a huge difference absolutely. doesn't it and when I share my story with my patients as I always have it allows them to actually uh, see me in a different light and realize that I'm putting their interests right at the center um, rather than just prescribing from, you know, a doctor's point of view. Mm -hmm. It's really important to bring in those aspects. Not that you want to treat patients as if they were you, but you want to help people understand that, you know, you're, there's a human on the other side as well. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I wanted to uh, ask you about is given the, um, uh, what, what you just actually stated, which is extremely important to us, which is, Lifestyle is extremely important. Our entire life has been dedicated to lifestyle intervention, but we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And that's one of the things Correct. that has happened in, the, in lifestyle medicine sometimes, not always, and in and, and, and preventive medicine, which is now a burgeoning, a fast-growing field. It's almost we're overshooting now as if medicine is not important. It's a combination of both. It's critical that we see both of those aspects. Right. With uh, the, the, the advances that science has made and as medicine has made has changed our lives around us. People don't recognize the fact that um, the average age of 78, 80, 82 around the world is not something that we used to see. And much of that is Correct. because of the science and medicine that, that has achieved that. Correct. And the way I meant to say, Dean, is if you think about, if you look in obstetrics, you know, when Semmelweis brought in hand washing, he was, uh, you know, ridiculed in Austria and things in a clinic. And they found that uh, postpartum uh, sepsis or women dying from infection really reduced when they wash their hands. And then comes along Alexander Fleming with antibiotics and that saves women from postpartum septicemia and, and sepsis again. So you can see how modern medicine, along with preventative um, lifestyle, uh, a simple measure of washing your hands, actually, you know, helps uh, people to even have a better outcome. Yeah. So this is what I try and explain. It's not that you can't take the hormonal contraceptive pill. It's not that you cannot take menopausal hormonal therapy. It's not that you shouldn't have surgery if you have large fibroids or if you have um, you know, breast cancer. It means that you also need to be doing lifestyle. And the earlier you implement lifestyle changes, the better, but it's never too late. Yeah. It is never too late. I have 80 year olds who are bringing in lifestyle changes and there are, um, you know, women who are in their pregnancies who want to bring in changes so that their offspring can actually benefit uh, longer term. So this is what I want people to understand that there is no, um, there's no camp. You know what it is, is that you want the person who's the patient to get the best of both worlds, to get the best benefit. And your job as a health provider, as a carer, really should be to provide evidence-based medicine, evidence-based, not because it's something that you feel very passionately about. You know, you might, I might be vegan, but I don't want to uh, promote a vegan diet because a vegan diet just tells me what I'm not eating. 
I yeah. want people to know that eating whole plant foods is beneficial for their health and they will see it very soon in their life. I want people to know that moving their body is really helpful. But at the same time, I don't want them to think that yes, while green tea uh, can reduce your risk of breast cancer, you should drink green tea when you've, been you've got a diagnosis of breast cancer, not have surgical or medical treatment. Yeah. That is so, so important uh, for and I know you all speak the same language Absolutely. because that is really key because it's so easy to say, I want things natural, but there's nothing very natural about our lives right now. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we need to know, we need to actually work with the best scientific available evidence to live the best life we can. That is our job and for our patients. Beautifully stated. I think that probably is one of my favorite monologues right there. It's it's wonderful. Yeah. It just kind of encapsulates the bigger message about lifestyle and medicine together. Um, let's dive into some of the nitty gritty details that I'm just burning to to learn from you and um, and I have over you know the past few years following you online. So you know one one of the common things that we keep hearing from our audience and one of the things that most women are very interested is the hormonal effect in their um, relationship with brain health um, from, yes. you know, from our teen years when, um, you know, people start having their periods and then go through their reproductive years and then menopause, the body goes through massive changes because of all these different hormones being created. And I know that our show is too short for us to go into the details of all of these hormones, but I want you to briefly just touch on the changes that a woman's body yeah goes through because of the hormones? So the puberty is a fascinating time uh, and uh, women or those assigned female at birth tend to go through puberty a little bit earlier than, than boys. And so it's such a crucial time when the brain is growing, all the connections are growing and there is a trigger of hormones. And what I want people to realize is that there's testosterone. In fact, women in the reproductive age group, so between the ages of when you start your period, anytime after the age of eight until menopause, which can happen anywhere between 45 and 55, women tend to produce three to four times more testosterone than estrogen. So that is so important. Testosterone, we often say male hormone. No, it's not a male hormone. It's a female hormone as well. Estrogen is also a male hormone. You have hormone. to take estrogen that one thing. <laughs> You took, you're taking our hormone away from us now. You know this is going to be a not. big... We are not. There's... But that is our hormone too. I know. No, no, it's exactly. our hormone no, too. No, no, no. I was joking. So I'm not joking. getting it back. <laughs> so we do know that, you know, the testosterone is really important in women. Um, and so just to rewind, what happens is there's a trigger in the hypothalamus which is in the brain that produces something called gonadotrophin releasing hormones mm -hmm. now hormones are chemical messengers they're very clever they're chemical messengers that get produced in a particular uh, area and act their magic in a different area so it releases it from the uh, hypothalamus it may have its action on the pituitary gland the pituitary gland will then release based on those gonadotrophin releasing hormones, it will release certain hormones called luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone, which will then work on the ovaries that are so far away, right in the yeah. pelvis. So you can imagine this fantastic trigger that occurs 
needs a lot of energy it needs uh, all the hormones to be correctly balanced now what happens is there are certain in the brain you know there's the hippocampus there's the amygdala all these areas they are dependent upon all these hormones and for the connections for you know you know it much better but you know basically all the neurological connections mm -hmm. are really dependent upon these hormones and so what happens is that we know for example in in um in uh, girls as they are going through puberty that these testosterone levels have to increase now the reason i talk about testosterone is if you know we talk about cholesterol now cholesterol is a steroid that is produced by our body uh, and it is the building block for these hormones so from cholesterol you get progesterone which we have all heard about you know the hormone that increases during pregnancy but we again have it men have progesterone too so we're giving you something back there dean and then from progesterone the next pathway is testosterone and then testosterone is just one of the androgens there are many many androgens uh, but for for um, easy um, purposes we'll say testosterone as the the androgen hormone so from progesterone you get testosterone and from testosterone you get estrogen so that is the pathway so there is no estrogen without testosterone yeah. you understand yes. and yeah, yeah. and that is how fascinating it is and it's not just that our ovaries produce testosterone and estrogen but most of it is from the ovaries and then also from this little gland sitting on top of our kidneys called adrenal glands and even the brain actually produces some estrogen so what happens is that as these levels change in puberty and through the reproductive age group it will help in building bone it will help in building muscle mass it will help in sex drive and libido that we hear about it will help with memory um, and also you know with the extinguishing fear and things i think the amygdala has got uh, you know it, it responds to fear correct the mm -hmm. hippocampus all these areas are actually nourished by these uh, sex hormones so it's so so important to understand what happens and actually our fat cells also produce estrogen yeah. and so sometimes they produce too much estrogen which is why why we know that when you carry excess weight when you carry excess body weight both men and women they increase the risk of cancers in fact cancer uh, um, you know when you're medically obese or medically overweight you have almost as close an increased risk of cancer as smoking does so it's the mm -hmm. second in line to to smoking and 65 to 70 percent of the uh, population in the u.s uh, maybe even more in the u.s but in the uk certainly uh, are carrying excess weight so we know that that has got its own issues as well when you produce all this excess estrogen why are you then having more hot flushes when you should be having less hot flushes because we know estrogen is a treatment for hot flushes and that's because the hypothalamus has got a center it's got a center for regulating temperature and what happens during the menopause is this temperature set, uh, regulatory center becomes extremely sensitive to tiny shifts of uh, of temperature so suddenly you will have this burst almost like a hot well it's called a hot flash for for that reason is the reason is your body's trying to cool it down 
and so the temperature because of the temperature shifts so these very very minute changes in temperature uh, sensitivity is what we think is responsible for hot flushing we don't know exactly but the reason we think it is and we think it's estrogen dependent is because we know when we treat people with um, uh, hormones, estrogen hormones in the menopause, their hot flashes actually improve. But of course, hot flashes are just one of the symptoms of menopause. Mm -hmm. So what I was trying to just say is that the brain really changes and evolves uh, throughout the reproductive age group, uh, throughout um, from the ages of starting puberty, which is can be anywhere between the ages of 8 and 15. And the... The levels of sex hormones will also fluctuate until they start dropping uh, because your ovaries start producing less eggs. They're, you're already born with a number of eggs. It's the number of eggs get destroyed quicker. And so when th there's complete cessation of menstruation, that is known as menopause. And with the drop in the number of uh, eggs comes the drop in production of sex hormones, testosterone and estrogen. Yeah. So that's what happens. That's it, the sort it, of cycle. It is Amazing. such a fascinating field. I, I, I really truly think that we can speak about just that little um, uh, aspect for hours. <laughs> I tell Don't you, you wish you had retrained in obs and gyni now. It's not too We do. You know. I it do. Really I, I, you know, I, I guess we're a little inquisitive. Every time we speak with somebody, whether it's gut, I'm like, oh my God, I could, I could do another fellowship. I've, I've, I've done three fellowships. That's enough. <laughs> another one on GI and, and OB. I mean, it's just remarkable. One of the things that we see in, 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 uh, in, in, when menses start, uh, the rate of um, uh, migraines goes significantly higher, especially for women. Um, Correct. And, and a, a very unique thing, MS, multiple sclerosis, which is a demyelinating disease. The line at which there's a different scene is at around 15 or so. When people move from the northern hemispheres towards the equator, the, the likelihood of getting MS changes significantly. That's related to this uh, um, um, uh, hormonal changes. That's related to stress levels. And then the third thing, which is what I love and um, I think is extremely important, and we're getting there, we're not there yet, which is precision medicine, precision lifestyle, okay. stress. Let's take stress. We talk about the limbic, hypothalamic, pituitary, and access. Even stress levels in teen years profoundly affect the hypothalamus, which then affects the pituitary and your entire hormone system, including growth hormone and sex hormones. It's just remarkable. Yeah. And we know that from functional hypothalamic amenorrhea, for example, we see, I see young women in my clinic on a weekly basis and that is from not having periods at all because of either exercising too much or eating disorders or you know calorie restriction basically the body goes into shutdown mm -hmm. and so you know the or even extreme stress or famine we know that those are ways that the body will protect uh, somebody from not wasting their energy because every time you have a period you're basically open to getting pregnant right mm -hmm. so yeah. if you think about um, 150 years ago women had about 10 or 15 periods in their lifetime now we have 350 to 500 cycles in our lifetime and that is to do with the fact that we are having one two or three or four children while previously we would be either dead in childbirth so you would either have had one or two ch children and you know being pregnant and giving birth was a, is a dangerous business. And so that would happen. And if you were lucky enough to have uh, to survive into your 30s or 40s uh, or 50s, uh, you would have had 10, 12, 15 children. And so 
in that situation, you would have had about 10 or 12 periods. Now we have so many more periods. So with that comes anemia and heavy periods and painful periods. And of course, all the other hormonal fluctuations that go on. I'm not saying that people should go out and start having lots of children because that's not necessarily good for your health. But this is the evolution. So it's really important to understand when people say it's quite natural to have periods. Actually, it's not very natural to have periods. You know, we are not. We are very among the very few... Um, animals that actually do have uh, periods or menopause and things like that, you know, yeah. so it's yeah. all very fascinating. But again, those are all big discussions, you know, fun things. Elephant shrew uh, has, uh, you know, outwardly menstrual cycles like human, humans, yeah. but wow. dogs and, and cats actually don't shed their lining. It gets reabsorbed. But that's just a little fun fact. No, I mean, there's an entire world that we have avoided in public because there's a psychological shame to discuss. There isn't. This is yeah. the most beautiful stigma. biological process. As a man, I can tell you that um, this might be unpopular, but um, so be it. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the universe of humanity, the, the, we, we revolve around, around women and around women's reproduction, around women's um, uh, um, um, you know, uh, cycles and, and the birth and all of these things, which we've really not investigated enough. We've not really invested no. enough in all of this. And not as uh, from a point of view of disease, but from a point of view of this beautiful process education. that involves yes. education. We, we, even this conversation yes. has not been had. Right. And which should so, be had. The, a recent survey, Dean, in the UK, in London, actually showed that one in four women don't know where their vagina is. One in two women don't know where their neck of the womb or cervix is. And one in 10 women have no idea where their reproductive system is. So you can imagine. And men did even much worse uh, with regards to female anatomy. And that is a failure of education in school education, public health education, and government-driven initiatives. So one of the things, again, in our book we have talked about is nobody knows your body better than you. Yeah. But if you actually don't understand the workings of your uh, body, of your reproductive system, about the ovaries, the fallopian tubes, the uterus, the cervix, the role of the vagina, the clitoris, the vasculatures, it's impossible to know to try and articulate to the doctor when you have 10 minutes, what's wrong with you? So it's so important to be in tune with your body so you can actually then make those um, you know, uh, questions and answers to the doctors who have very little time. And so periods are a vital sign, just like we take temperature and pulse and, and uh, you know, a heart rate um, and uh, blood pressure and, and um, the other vital signs. Period is a, the fifth vital sign because you might be missing somebody with a fracture, somebody with a, 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 comes to your clinic and they, somebody says, I think I have got early dementia. Uh, actually, what they are having is they're missing their periods. They are in the perimenopause or in the menopause and they're having low levels of testosterone, low levels of estrogen. And what they need is menopausal hormone therapy. What they don't need is to be given a diagnosis of early dementia. Yeah. And so when somebody comes to you with a broken leg, it might be because of osteoporosis related to menopause. It might be because of osteoporosis related to an eating disorder and missing the period in a young person. So. Periods is such an important discussion to have, not just to find out if somebody's pregnant or not. Just find out if they're pregnant and let them, you know, carry on operating on them or medicating them. No, we have to spend time actually understanding the whole 
history, especially the female reproductive system and asking women in detail about their period uh, and reproductive health. So I hope that that message is very clear to any health professional listening in on your podcast, because I think it's so, so important. Uh, one, not to belabor this point, but I'm going to belabor this point. I'm, uh, but I think one of the most important concepts that, that we should, you know, harp on, we're talking about more than 50% of the population, and we haven't even had the basic conversations with our children, with our families, with, our, with, the, with the world about, you know, women's sexuality, women's reproduction, women's health, uh, the changes that we go because of a, a, a antiquated 12th century, 11th century, century a shame of, of physiology. This is physiology. One of the first things we did was, you know, talking about sexuality with your kids, talking about reproduction with your kids clearly so you can take the shaming out of it so that if there are problems, they can speak to you. And even Correct. outside of problems that they can be proud of these processes that are these, these evolution that they're going through. That mentality of pride versus shame is so important to, to acknowledge and to bring to the surface because that psychology affects every other psychology. Right. Yes, but it's a long hill to climb, Dean. You have to remember that uh, in all parts of the world and still today, women have been told to shrink themselves. I see women and I ask them about painful sex. I talk to them about uh, urinary incontinence. And women are really hesitant because they say, I don't want to waste the doctor's time. I didn't want to talk about it, you know, uh, because they feel they're not important enough. They feel that their menopausal symptoms are not important enough, that, you know, there is so much confusion. If you think about it, um, you know, when men needed Viagra, it was, you know, available off, uh, you know, over the counter very, very quickly. But here we are still struggling to try and explain to people that, you know, the contraceptive pill is something that should be available easily. The um, menopausal hormonal therapy should be available much more easily. The information has to be made more easily. The myths have to be broken down. There's so much work to be done. But, you know, we are getting there. Yeah. And we will get there, uh, but it involves people like you, you know, feminists like you and women and men all working together so that we can actually, you know, help people who may not have access. And you no, know, we haven't even talked about people who can't speak the language, who are from minority communities. We have already seen how it affected them in COVID and things. So... I think it's so important to have these conversations and also have conversations in languages that are uh, you know, accessible to people who may not able to have, you know, they don't even have words. I was doing a YouTube uh, thing yesterday or a television thing yesterday and I was trying to find words for endometriosis and vagina. <laughs> it's so hard. There yeah. are no words. Yeah. Uh, and you're using these words which don't make much sense. How do you talk about vaginal dryness or brain fog and things like that? Because those are things that your patients will talk to you about, yeah. you know, and they're connected. <laughs> you know, they're very connected. Right. Absolutely. Oh, it's beautifully stated. Yeah. Speaking of myth, um, going back to the idea of menopause, there's so many myths and misunderstandings about menopause. And there's such a derogatory sense of shame connected to it. You know, for women to go through menopause, it almost sounds like it's over. Everything is done, you know. But it's just another process of evolution in a woman's body and women's health. 
And um, when it comes to brain health, you know, we see people going through menopause and how they start having difficulty with concentration, with processing information. And it's a scary time because you see some physical changes, you see physiological changes, and you also see cognitive changes too. And the, the compounding effect of this change is very, very scary. And I'm so grateful to you and to your book because you have a dedicated, you know, section about menopause. And I wanted to actually talk about some of the myths and misunderstandings about menopause, starting with, you know, people always think that it starts when you are older, when you are in your 50s. And that's not true. No, it's not true at all. So... If you look at the way menopause should be classified, there's something called perimenopause, the time that you're approaching menopause or menopause in transition. And that can be anywhere between two to eight years. So the average age that somebody completely stops their period for a whole year. So it's a retrospective diagnosis. I am menopausal now. That means 12 months I have not had a period. The last menstrual period, the cessation of menstruation, the completion of reproductive capacity, that is the beginning of the first 12 months when you are then called postmenopausal. But you're always going to be menopausal. So because remember that women in the US live for about 78 or 79 years, in the UK about 82 years, in Hong Kong about 83 or even longer. So we have almost 30 years of very productive time that we are leading in pain, in brain fog, in lack of concentration. But this doesn't start between 45 and 55. It starts two to eight years before. So if your periods are going to stop at 45, you may be starting to have, like I was, having symptoms, thinking that I was stressed and things. So you have those memory losses, those hormonal fluctuations. And doing blood tests often don't necessarily tell you that because your hormone levels will be normal one minute and they'll be abnormal the other minute. So it's impossible unless you have a 24-hour, like a Holter-like thing that will actually measure these hormones. We don't necessarily recommend uh, blood tests unless you're under the age of 45. But even then, the symptoms that you're talking about, yes, they are scary, but scary only because we don't have enough Um, communication and information. Once you know that those body aches, that crowding of cycles, that autoimmune uh, worsening of your disease could be related to perimenopause and it may be in your late 30s, it may be in your early 40s. So because not everybody stops their period at 51. Yes, that's the average age at 51. So most people start perimenopause around 47. But you can imagine there's a whole cohort of women who are going through symptoms in their early 40s. And some studies have shown that actually the earlier you start menopausal hormonal therapy or hormone therapy, so I'm choosing to avoid the word HRT, hormone replacement therapy. So hormone replacement therapy is really to be used in the sort of situations which is premature ovarian insufficiency. When your ovaries have stopped functioning under the age of 40, you're replacing the hormones. Mm-hmm. Here, you are actually just stopping them up or you know replacing them if there's a true deficiency. But whatever it is, you need these hormones to make you function normally. Testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone. Progesterone does not really do anything much for um, menopausal symptoms, but you have to use it to protect the womb from womb cancer. So these symptoms can start in your early 40s when you are having lack of concentration, you're having panic attacks, you're having anxiety, you may be having 
things that your doctor will say is actually depression or you may be forgetting things and you're 50 and, and somebody says oh you're forgetting too many things it could be and probably is menopause and it's certainly worth a trial of yeah. menopausal hormonal therapy rather than making a diagnosis that somebody is actually having as i said early dementia yes it may be but you know we know that estrogen is crucial it's critical in this time because when the menopause uh, estrogen levels drop then the estrogen levels drop in your brain as well and estrogen is so important for these brain connections and things like that so it's really a situation where the gynecologist and the neurologist that is you and me should be talking to actually help these women because it's not always depression people get so treated with antidepressants when actually what they need is menopausal hormone therapy you know and so what happens is just because you're in your early 40s and you're still having regular periods does not mean that you don't have those hormonal fluctuations that are debilitating that can actually benefit so the risks are so small uh, and sadly I was at a, at a time when this WHI, the uh, uh, Women's Health Initiative study, uh, preliminary results came out saying uh, that it, you know, it increases the risk of breast cancer and clots and stroke. And actually, the whole cohort of patients that were used were in their 70s. They probably already had the starts of uh, breast cancer and things like that. So we know now very categorically that actually you can have many benefits. So even though you may have finished with hot flushes or never had hot flushes because you're leading a perfectly healthy lifestyle, you're eating your soy, you're eating your beans, actually you can get protection from osteoporosis, you have a reduced risk of heart disease mm -hmm. and um, there was a nice paper I think in the BMJ late last year which basically said that there is no increased risk uh, with taking combined HRT uh, especially in the first five years even in the less uh, in, within 10 years of menopause and with estrogen taking estrogen only which means that if you've had a hysterectomy you would only take estrogen because that's all you need for mm -hmm. the protection they found that there's actually slight reduction in dementia uh, risk uh, you see and so the important thing to understand is that there are many benefits that we didn't talk about before mm -hmm. uh, and the risks of cancer are so small which is actually less than if you're drinking alcohol, even two little glasses of alcohol uh, increases our breast cancer risk significantly. Drinking more than three alcoholic drinks in a week increases breast cancer risk by about 15% by the damage it does to the DNA cells by increasing estrogen levels in an unhealthy way. So uh, being uh, carrying excess body weight, we already talked about, that increases our breast cancer risk and uh, several other cancers significantly so you know so menopausal hormonal therapy should not be denied as it was denied for a whole generation of women i think we have done so much harm to women over the last two de decades and only now we are able to come out and say actually you know what you may need is certainly a trial you don't need to be scared because as doctors if you scare your patient if you tell patients you've got a one in seven chance of having breast cancer just from being alive in your lifetime instead of say that you have a six out of seven chance that you don't have but you can actually lower that even better if you followed a healthy lifestyle you ate mostly plant foods you drank uh, minimal or no alcohol if you moved your body regularly if you followed um, and you had a healthy body weight 
If we talk in reassuring terms, if I tell my patients that you have a 1 in 100 risk of dying from an operation, that sounds much worse than saying you have a 99% chance nothing's going to happen to you. You're actually going to be much better off than even going in a car. And these are my statistics. This is my statistics. I actually have got a 1 in 1,000, a 1 in 10,000. Mm. So it's how you portray this. And this is why health professionals have to be very empathetic while being scientific, not, you know, saying things because they're worried about getting sued or, uh, or uh, practicing defensive medicine, because we do know that the evidence is out there. We just have to read it and, and acknowledge it and embrace it. Yeah. I just love this so much. <laughs> I just love this so much. This is beautiful. No, you're absolutely right. Speaking of um, hormone uh, therapy, and I'm so glad that you actually made it sound, um, you know, the um, a very logical approach and with all the data that we've uh, we've had and i'm so grateful to you for clarifying the women's health initiative study that it essentially looked at older women who already had accumulation of risk factors that resulted in disease and it wasn't specifically related to hormones um, a lot of women are very um, apprehensive about starting hormones because of the lack of information and the lack of the bigger picture um, so as far as, let's say, for example, if somebody is going through uh, perimenopause, what would you suggest at that stage in their life? Obviously, a conversation is the, the biggest uh, factor to have a conversation with their doctors and going to a women's health specialist and kind of figuring out um, their risk factors, their physiology and what fits them best. I think that should Correct. be something that every woman should approach, don't you think? I completely agree. Uh in addition to that, I would say, you know, reading the right reliable resources, because sometimes you may see specialists or you may see a doctor or your family doctor who may not be up to date with lifestyle information, may not be um, up to date with the latest information. So that is why, for example, we wrote our book even is so that we can actually empower women. So, you know, reading the right sources, reading, uh, you know, whether it's um, the NHS site, the Royal College of Ops and Gynae, the British Men's, uh, menopause society which has done amazing work i think there must be similar societies in the uh, u.s as well i know the royal um, the american college of ops and gynae is very very um, uh, active and so i think it's important and it's also important to differentiate between bioidentical and body identical hormones mm -hmm. so uh, bioidentical hormones are compounded hormones that are produced in small uh, clinics which are not safe and are not recommended by any royal college but body identical is what is we recommend, which is basically transdermal HRT or transdermal menopausal hormonal therapy through the skin. So either a patch or a gel or a spray of estrogen. And then you would take something which is a, like a plant-based micronized progesterone, which is like what your body makes. So there are three different types of estrogen. We don't have time to talk about it, but estradiol is the one that we want to replace. Estrone is the one that is common in, in menopause, estriol in pregnancy. So you want to take the estradiol, which is also again from a plant-based source, 
And so what uh, one has to do is to take it through the skin rather than an oral tablet. Why? Because it passes through the liver and you don't want to increase that. Even that small, tiny risk of increased risk of blood clot or stroke mm -hmm. or breast cancer. And if, especially if you're carrying excess weight. But for all my patients, I would say always favor the transdermal route first. That means through the skin first. And the progesterone has to be taken by mouth, which is fine. Not a problem. Or you can have a coil uh, in your uh, uterus that provides the, the hormone and contraception as well but uh, some women yes they will not do well even with the skin um, preparation and have to take the oral one and that is the titrating of the doses and things when people say will all my menopausal symptoms come back well no what happens is um, about until seven years, four to seven years is when women actually suffer from menopausal symptoms. Mm -hmm. So it's a long time for a lot of women. 50% will still be suffering at four years and seven years. And then another 10% at even 10 years. So what happens is if you're too quick in a hurry to give up your menopausal hormone therapy, what may happen is your symptoms may come back. So that is why it's important to have these nuanced discussions. And not everybody can have it. I understand that. But what I want is people to be to understand, to talk to their specialists after they actually read the information for themselves so they can go in with a bit more confidence saying, doctor, I think I have perimenopausal symptoms. Doctor, I think I, I would like, I have a family history of early dementia. I want to take HRT now so that I lower my risk rather than wait for the time until my periods completely stop. So these are discussions that one needs to have. But as I said, I don't think the medical community is right up there. And also, I don't think the medical community is right up there with, when it comes to lifestyle. So, you know, just by reducing your alcohol intake, just by uh, having a healthy body weight, just by moving your body and eating whole plant foods, especially focusing on beans and things, you can lower your risk so much that breast cancer anyway, which is a very negligible risk uh, with transdermal HRT is even further reduced. Yeah. Your risk of dementia is even further reduced. Your yeah. risk of heart attacks is because remember more women die of heart disease in the menopause than men do but the focus is not on women but you know we know that the lack of estrogen increases our risk so all I'm saying is lifestyle has to go all the way through from birth to death and then you can add these medications as and when you need them and not be afraid of them but you need to have a specialist who actually understands it so that you're not left with fear because when you're left with fear you won't take your medication you start having irregular bleeding you'll end up in the doctor's office all kinds of things which don't have a healthy outcome i mean this is uh, the, the way you've put it it's so beautiful it actually without saying so you've said it you know uh, um, a comprehensive approach uh, especially with lifestyle in mind as a background <clears throat> has so many profound effects. Weight reduction means the effect it has on your immune system, on your hormonal system. You know, when, when people come to me and say, oh, Dr. Shares, I'm, I'm adding this vitamin and, and into my uh, regimen and not addressing the comprehensive approach, the, this, the, this, the disproportion is just profound. When you eat a healthy food, it, it affects you directly because of the anti-inflammatory, antioxidant. We keep talking about the direct effects, anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, but the indirect as far as glucose regulation, lipid regulation. And then now what you're talking about, which is hormone, testosterone, to estrogen, to um, the different kind of hormones that affect the brain, your cancer risk, every system in your body is exponential. 
Um, totally. I, I, this is totally. one of the first conversation we've had. Hormonal where... health is absolutely linked to your lifestyle. There yeah. is, as I said, not a single aspect of reproductive health does the, does not benefit from lifestyle changes. And you can either hurt your body or harm uh, or help your body. You've just got to find realize that and try and do the best not everybody can go a hundred percent a whole food plant-based and i don't expect them to yeah. i just want to meet my patients where they are and if they can add one fruit to their zero fruit intake i'm happy then i can make them add a second fruit i always start with where they are because you know also cost is an important thing because the government doesn't subsidize uh, foods and in, in the US especially your healthcare system is not like our NHS which is one of the main reasons I stayed back in the UK is because you know it is a very glorious system where you can actually give uh, people healthcare free at the point of care for me that was absolutely sang to me the way I wanted to practice I have just left the NHS but I have to say that is one of the things that makes me so so proud to be British yeah, <laughs> no, no, we agree with you. We, we have a lot of uh, work to do and a lot of things to fix in the healthcare system. And it sounds amazing how um, the kind of lifestyle that you um, have beautifully stated and mentioned in your book and you Let's always talk about is um, essentially the same. I mean, we always talk about, you know, um, we have the neuro plan, which is nutrition, exercise, unwind, Correct. restorative sleep, and optimizing cognitive activity. And in your beautiful book, you also have six pillars uh, of yes. lifestyle for your hormonal health. Would you, would you care to shed light on that, please? So what I always say is there's no different diet to reduce Alzheimer's. There is no different diet to look younger. There is no different diet to treat your endometriosis or your polycystic ovary syndrome or to regain your hormonal health or to prevent heart disease or to reduce your blood pressure. It is the same lifestyle. You want to look at all the six pillars and we have an acronym like your neuro PCOS free, which is P stands for plants or plant predominant um, and C is for community. We know that loneliness, not having friends, not having a purpose, all these things can play a huge role in actually how our brain health is and how our hormonal health is and how our heart health is. O is for optimism, so we want to make sure that there is always hope. Even though there is no cure for Alzheimer's or there's no cure for uh, polycystic ovary syndrome and there is, you know, you're left with menopause, there is hope. There are so many things you can do. What if you can't take hormone replacement? Why not look at lifestyle more? Why not look at other things? You know, because people with breast cancer are often denied a hormone replacement, right? Mm -hmm. So it's understanding. So PCOS uh, stands for, you know, stress management and things like that. And then F stands for fun, having fun, never forgetting that life is about fun. We have won the lottery just by being here. You know, people yeah. say, I want to yeah. buy the lottery. You don't need to. What are the chances that you are so lucky to be born privileged in an area, in an era where you can actually have a voice uh, and just to be alive? you yeah. know and and rest r is for rest uh, not necessarily sleep it is non-sleep rest which is also okay to say you know what today i'm just going to chill out and do nothing and and that's 
completely all right. And then E is for exercise, moving your body, really important. And, and the last, of course, is empowering yourself. Because when you empower yourself, when you educate yourself, you empower yourself. Yeah. When you empower yourself, you energize the people around you. And when you energize the people around you, you get lifted up and you actually bring change. So nobody is too small. Nobody is too little to make a difference and self-care is something we talk about throughout in our book because if you don't feed yourself the words of love what happens is you will end up actually hating yourself and doing things worse to yourself so always remember how would you talk to yourself if you were your best friend and would you talk that way would you say things like i don't look good i'm in a you know i'm overweight or i have acne or excess hair or whatever it may be or i'm menopausal and i'm a wreck no you wouldn't talk to your friend like that you would say go and seek help so that's what I want people to remember is that if you don't look after yourself, you cannot look after the people and the world around you. I love that so much. I love that so much. Uh, in your in your book, you know, the, the book is called Living PCOS Free, How to Regain Your Hormonal Health with Polycystic Ovary Syndrome. And I'm, I'm a bit ashamed that I didn't really know so much about PCOS and how prevalent it is. And yes. that, you know, it's not just a problem for women, but it could probably be a problem for men as well. And yes. it, the numbers were mind blowing. And yes. I, I, I think this, this is a book that everybody must read because it is yes. a condition that you could be living with that was not ever diagnosed and it could affect every single system in your body. Three quarters of people, women never get a diagnosis, Aisha. That's how serious it is. Three, 75% remain undiagnosed. The quickest way, because I know we have a lack of time, is to remind people that polycystic ovary syndrome is a close cousin of type 2 diabetes. So yeah. that is the easiest and simplest way to understand. It's the commonest hormonal condition to affect women and those assigned female at birth. So it's the commonest hormonal or endocrine disorder to affect women in the reproductive age group. And mm -hmm. one in 10 women we know have the condition, but remember three quarters of people don't know they have the condition. Right. And in certain subgroups, like those who are struggling to conceive, it's the most common cause of infertility. And uh, the number of patients I see whose doctors have told them to go away and come back when they want to get pregnant is heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So we know that in those with infertility, those with um, who are from Asian background, Hispanic background, the incidence can be one in four. So, you know, this is a real issue. Irregular periods, missed periods because you're not releasing eggs regularly, acne, excess hair growth, uh, and, uh, you know, all the other symptoms that we didn't even talk about, brain health issues, you know, sleep deprivation, sleep apnea, which is so dangerous. Absolutely. You know, sleep apnea, sleep disturbances, daytime sleepiness, anxiety, depression, OCD, you know, uh, taking your own life. ADHD, <laughs> I can binge eating disorders. You know, we've got chapters dedicated to that in the book, which is why my book was meant to be, our book was meant to be, Roini and I wrote it. Uh, and I, she kept sending me back to the drawing board. She said, mom, you're talking like a doctor too much. Go back and, and write more, <laughs> you know, friendly language. And that's so important to talk to yeah. people in the language they understand. But the book was meant to be about 100 pages. But what it, we have done is we've done a deep dive because there is no book that has done a deep dive looking into all aspects of the condition. 
Yeah. yeah. So the first part is for everybody. Anybody can read it. It is all about knowing your body better, about periods and things like that, and understanding why PCOS occurs. The second part is for anybody, whether you're a man or a woman, anybody can read it. Why? Because it tells you about sleep and stress and all the six lifestyle pillars, exercise, alcohol, smoking. So it's it's a it's a second section is for everybody. The third section is individual symptoms. How do I improve my acne? How do I improve my uh, hair loss? How do I improve my uh, excess hair growth? What about if I'm carrying excess body weight? So each chapter, including a chapter on racism, we talk about all these things. And then the fourth part is there's no point knowing about how to prevent Alzheimer's without, like in your book, you explain the solution. So you have to have a plan. And so we've got a 21 day plan with amazing recipes, which are all Rohini's because my next book is on menopause and those are going to be my recipes <laughs> you know uh, and then we've got hundreds and hundreds of references lots of case studies and myth busters because there are so many myths in, in uh, women's health that it really breaks my heart and I feel the the huge amounts of uh, uh, progress I've seen with my patients I want the world to get it you know that's why we kept the book without any color uh, we kept it just with minimal um, you know so that there was and also brightly colored on the outside because it's such a stigmatizing condition mm. it's such a stigmatizing condition so there's a little strawberry there on the top which is the ovary, yes. the polycystic ovary so yeah. you know we a lot of thought went into all this so that people actually the resources at the end how you can actually access help if you're having an eating disorder if you have a, psychi- a psychological issue if you have a psychiatric problem if you have uh, if you're from an ethnic background all these things we have tried to really hope that people will take the book we're going into libraries and going to give the books to them so that you know people who can't afford it can actually read the book and hopefully empower themselves so that is my only um, plea for people that when you read the book please pass it on to somebody else because a lot of people will as Brenda Davis says in the foreword you know people don't talk about it there's so much stigma because nobody wants to acknowledge that they have adult acne or excess hair growth or their weight is because of a hormonal issue and things so I really hope that it makes a difference and thank you it already has made a difference because it has uh, well even here at home it has changed um, the way we think about women's health and the way we will converse with our, you know, women um, patients um, and inclusion of all oh. the fantastic information that you've included in in this book. You know, human beings are cognitive misers. If, if something is not in front of us and if we're not reminded about it all the time, it doesn't become a part of our language. So we're grateful to you for bringing up this, this concept and teaching people about something that you know, profoundly affects their existence, their way of thinking, their way of dealing with life on a, you know, on a second to second basis, their hormonal health. And it's something that's usually swept under the under the carpet and never really brought up. So we really are grateful to you. And I can tell you that the recipes for all the audience who's <laughs> listening are incredible. I am in love with the walnut, the oat and the banana cookies. I mean, there are so many yes. cookies and breakfast ideas and wonderful different. And the beans too. The beans too is absolutely it's one of the most tasty simple recipes that will be a staple in your family 
I will tell you that. It is I amazing. It. We do it for all the community cooking classes we do and people love it. They batch cook it and that's it. They're sorted for the whole week. All their hormones in one in line <laughs> yeah. and, and their brain health too yes. sounds like something we would uh, we would make every I would love to every yeah. week yeah. Um, and, and also I just wanted to kind of highlight the fact that uh, yes there's a lot of science you even have a section on just anatomy like teaching people yes. about the anatomy of the reproductive system but most one of the most beautiful things that you do is you also shed light on the systemic issues um, as well, you know, it's it's very easy for us to tell people, okay, go eat greens or eat your plants, no. right? But we don't really understand that there are a lot of deep-rooted systemic issues for men and women not having access to healthcare, and that healthcare is not, uh, you know, essentially a um, an elitist thing uh, that everybody Correct. should have access to it. And I mm -hmm. really truly appreciate you bringing that um, into light as well. That was one of the things that Rohini and I were very clear about, however unpopular it made us. We wanted people to know that, you know, we, those in positions of privilege, have to do better. We have to demand change from higher up. We have to be the change ourselves so that we can help those who don't have access to that information. And so mm -hmm. that's one of my missions, my goals. I go into inner city schools uh, to do workshops, you know, teach children how to do yoga for painful periods, learn how to do mindfulness for exams, uh, learn how to eat and make them insist that they try one new f food because many of them can't even identify uh, fruits for example uh, you know and also teach them the value of dance and laughing and things like that so I think it's so important for me that if anybody can who's listening uh, does make those little changes and and reaches out to people that who are in a slightly worse off condition than them they will reap so many benefits that, uh, you know, it can only help their brain health, their hormonal health and their overall health. It's a joyous way of living. No, it, it really study. is. I mean, um, it's, it's a privilege. You said that us being in this planet at this time and this uh, is, is a, the, the, the biggest of all lotteries probabilistically. And we're privileged. And when we have the power in this, we have to definitely use that power to to help others. Uh, one of the things we're doing, we're talking about women and women's empowerment. Uh, Aisha is the president of uh, Restore Her Voice, which came out of the situation oh, in Afghanistan yes. and now with Ukraine yes. and other places where women are now being told to cover their faces. Forget about talking about vaginas and uh, reproduction <laughs> and, 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 yeah. and uh, things of that nature. Covering their faces. I mean, that's that's the world we live in, and we must we must speak out. Yes, and we then have on, to speak on our out, other even non if it hurts, it does. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and then hurts, we have this. We have to speak out. It's our Absolutely. responsibility. Absolutely. And then next, uh, the other non for profit which we have, which is the Healthy Minds Initiative, is completely focused on empowering communities that don't have access to basic information, like what you just provided, which is remarkable. I think we're going to have many conversations oh, together. De definitely <laughs> several episodes are in order for uh, exploring this fascinating connection between reproductive yeah. health and brain health and health in general. And it's yes. so empowering to know, like you said, that if you start taking care of your hormones or your reproductive system, you've taken care of your brain, your heart, your kidneys, and the rest of the system. And I think that's one of the most beautiful uh, information and the best news that people can get. 
Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Aisha and Dean. I cannot tell you how grateful I am that you have, uh, you know, honored me by helping me to come on this platform and talk about things that I'm so, so passionate, so deeply close to my heart. I'm, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. Oh. The pleasure is ours, the honor is ours. Thank you so much for your time. And I know that we will be talking again very soon. And again. <laughs> and, and we'll definitely put your book in the show notes. The book is called Living PCOS Free by Dr. Nitu Bajekal and Rohini Bajekal, the mother and daughter duo who wrote this beautiful book. Thank you so much. And I can't wait for people to read this. 